episode three, Tu Be'av, the Jewish holiday of love. Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where you'll learn how to take steps to create a life that you love and enjoy. This podcast will cover mindset coaching and practical tips and tools, sprinkled with intergenerational wisdom and inspiration, and some Torah too. Here's your host, Nechama Weiser, Certified Health and Life Coach. Shalom and welcome to this special Tu Be'av edition. Tu Be'av is the 15th day of Av and among other aspects has come to be celebrated as the Jewish day of love. And as opposed to last week that was a little bit more somber, this week I really want to celebrate love and celebrate relationships and I decided to bring Ruvain, my husband, to join me in this episode. Ruvain really has been a tremendous, incredible, valuable asset to my coaching business. And you may have heard his voice in the intro of each episode, but his voice is really in my head in many of my projects and the things that I do. And I wanted to bring him on, even though this is an earlier stage of my podcast and I'm developing my voice and you're learning my voice, I did think it was important to bring him on and we just want to kind of have a conversation about relationships and love and this episode is targeted at married couples but also those of you who may be looking for your significant other and I hope that wherever you're at you can find some value here. So Ruvain, do you want to introduce yourself and say something that you think will be valuable to our listeners? Sure. Well, uh, hi, everyone. You might recognize my voice. Um, hopefully the value will come in the answer to some of the questions that you're going to ask. But we've been married for 17 years now. And over that time, I've learned a thing or two about what makes a marriage work. And over my time beforehand, you know, I got married, I think I was 27, 28 which at least among my group of friends was a little bit later. So I had to work on some of my, uh, my perspective and attitude then as well um, when I was single longer than I wanted to be. And hopefully I'll have some wisdom to share in response to some of our discussion. Okay, so let's just start off with a basic question. How would you define love? What does love mean to you? Uh, it's a good question. I'll, I'll preface everything. You know, I, I tend to overthink. So any of these questions I could really preface with, well, what kind of love are we talking about? There's the love of a husband and wife. There's the love of a parent and child of, you know, a, a child and a dog. And obviously here, I think we're, we're focused specifically on the love of a, uh, a committed relationship. Um, and there's a, a line in the end of Les Mis, Les Miserables, the musical. I think it's also in the book. Um, I don't know if there's an original source where, uh, where he says, um, to love another person is to see the face of God. Um, and I think there's a lot of depth there, and I think it goes in both directions. There's an equation, essentially. Uh, I think when you love someone, really what, well, for, for me at least, what that means is to look at someone and see the godliness in them, to see the kindness, the honesty, um, the generosity all of those aspects that make people like God, that give us what, what, uh, what we call the, the Tselem Elohim, the godly image in which we were created, when you see that in someone, I think that's what 
allows you, facilitates, enables loving that person. And that goes the other way also, because once you love someone, then you, you appreciate the godliness in them that also is seeing the face of God in that we appreciate that godliness more. We appreciate God more by seeing the generosity of the people that, his, that he created. There's a lot of other stuff, obviously, that kind of surrounds that. It's important to be with someone who's funny. Do you love someone more because they're funny? I don't think so. Do we love Jerry Seinfeld? His wife does, I'm sure. But I don't, you know, I don't love Jerry Seinfeld. I don't love comedians. Same goes with attraction, with physical attraction. It's important to be with someone that you find physically attractive. But I think both of those are not really elements of love, but rather it's important to be with someone that you find funny because otherwise you'll be bored and you won't enjoy being with them. It's important to be with someone that you enjoy being with and not just, not just love, not just appreciate the godliness, but you enjoy being with them, you enjoy looking at them, that's important. But I don't think those are the foundations of love. Um, I think love is appreciating the godliness in someone that you have grown to appreciate. I also love that because it's a great way to bring God into your marriage, which is really beautiful. So, so what some of you may not know is that when Ruven and I were dating on our third date, we brought up the conversation of a bashert, which is basically the person that you're destined to marry, right? Some people believe that there's one person out there that they're destined to meet and marry. A soulmate. A soulmate. And that was my thinking at the time. And Ruvain shared with me on that date that he didn't really believe in that. And I came home from that date and I remember saying to my parents, I was like, I don't think this is going to work out. And I had a conversation with my father and he shared that he felt similarly, that there's not one soulmate. There are a number of people that you could end up with. And I decided to give him another chance. So since then, Ruvain has shared with me his theory on a soulmate, but I think it's really beautiful and I've come to appreciate it. And I just wanted to give you the opportunity to share it with our listeners. Thanks. Um, so my thinking on, on Bashert, which is a traditional concept, concept, and I'm certainly not saying that it's, it's wrong, but um, if we love someone because of the godliness in them, then there are a lot of people that we can love and there are a lot of people that we can enjoy spending time with. And theoretically, one could choose to end up with any one of those people. I believe that man has free will. Man has the ability to decide. So even if I believe that my soulmate is one particular person, that particular person has every ability, has every right to choose not to be with me. Which kind of puts a whole damper on the soulmate prospect. Because what if my soulmate doesn't find me funny? or is in a bad mood the day that we meet and chooses to say no when I ask them out, whatever it might be. My soulmate just went out the window. Um, now, God could theoretically guide situations so that I'll have another opportunity to ask them out. Uh, but if you really believe in free will, um, I find that a difficult concept to adopt, that you're going to end up with this person. Obviously, you can adjust the concept of soulmate and say, well, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up with them just that you would be happiest if you do. And I think that's true of, of every choice that we make. If I'm choosing between chocolate and vanilla, I'm going to enjoy one of those more than the other, depending on what mood I'm in, you know, what my palate wants at the time. There's going to be an optimal outcome, theoretically, for any situation, but there's no way that, that I could necessarily know that going into it. 
And given that we have free will and given the complexity of these situations, there's no way that you can really lead your life under that assumption that there's one person that you're supposed to end up with. And again, personally, I don't believe that God necessarily guides our lives to that level of detail. One might disagree. Um, but what I do think, though, is that if you don't believe in the concept of a soulmate, I know you originally found that so unromantic. Well, you could have just chosen anyone. Yes, I could have chosen anyone. But I didn't choose anyone. I chose you and you chose me. To me, that's a much more romantic concept that I could have ended up with anyone. And it was my decision that God wasn't the person who set us up and, you know, arranged our marriage. It's not an arranged marriage. It was a choice. It was a choice by both of us to end up together. So over the past uh, almost 17 years, we've had many dates. I'm curious to hear what your favorite one was, and I'm curious to see if I think it was our best date also. So I would say that our best date, I don't know if it's even necessarily quite my favorite. There, there have been a lot, obviously, over, over all these years, but I think the date that had the most impact on our relationship was when we were still dating uh, and we got caught in a hailstorm. Yes. Okay, there that we go. That was mine. <laughs> that was good. So we're on the same page. That's good. Um, because when you're dating, there's a lot that needs to work out. And as I mentioned before, you know, you need to appreciate the person and, uh, and enjoy being with them. And, and one of the important elements when you're first dating is infusing a spark into the relationship. Not just getting to know each other and appreciating each other, but really feeling a, a sense of excitement. And there was a date early on, I don't remember what number it was, it was like our 6th, 8th, something like that, where we were out in the park, um, and we heard a noise in the distance, it was very strange, didn't know what it was at first, and at some point it became clear that there was a hailstorm approaching, and we literally got caught in a hailstorm, we had to run for cover somewhere, and I think that that really contributed to a sense of excitement at being together, uh, and that kind of helped carry us through what's sometimes an awkward stage of dating, um, to the point where, obviously, eventually, we decided to get engaged. Yeah, it was very experiential. So there was a lot of laughing. We got soaking wet. Uh, but it was also my most memorable date to date. Okay, so as you alluded to in your introduction, it took you a little bit longer to find me. Uh, so you were dating a little bit longer than you would have liked. So I'm curious if at any point you lost hope or how it impacted your faith in God, that whole process of dating and kind of waiting to find the right person. Um, so yes, I did lose hope at some points. I was dating, as I mentioned, I, I got married when I was 27 or 28, something in, in that area. I had dated around 40 people before I met you, which I know for some people might not be a lot, but for me, at the time at least, it felt like a lot. And compared to my friends, most of whom were married, uh, it felt like I was being left behind in terms of life, in terms of moving forward with an element of my life that was important to me. Um, and it, it made me have serious doubts about myself, my ability to, to be in a relationship, to sustain a long-term relationship, to be lovable, so to speak, in the long term. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm a lovable kind of guy, but there's, as we said, different kinds of love. You can be lovable, but still not material for a long-term relationship, material for being a husband, etc., for being a boyfriend. Um, I'm kind and generous and dependable, but maybe I'm not exciting enough to, to, for someone to fall in love with me in the way that it, that it takes. So there were a lot of times where I had doubts like that. 
Um, and that's why I think maybe the, the hailstorm was something that kind of helped kickstart things and add some of that excitement where maybe that's not my natural mode. Um, but there were a lot of times that I, I, uh, I was very frustrated and, and lost hope and wondered whether it would ever end up happening. Um, I wouldn't specifically say that it impacted my faith in God, but there definitely were times that I wished that God would intervene more. <laughs> that, you know, maybe I'm wrong. It, God, if I'm wrong about this whole Basharit thing, now would be a great time to prove me wrong <laughs> and, uh, and show me my Basharit, introduce me to my Basharit. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually we did find each other, but, uh, but there was certainly a good amount of frustration and, uh, and I would say even pain at times along the way. And I think it's so interesting because so many times when we have goals for ourselves, we put a timeline on it. And then when we don't achieve that goal by the timeline that we set, then there's so much disappointment and there's so much pain. And sometimes that timeline is totally arbitrary. We decide it for ourselves. Sometimes it's just what the community expects of us. Sometimes it's, you know, other timelines that people are imposing on us. But I think that sometimes when we let go of our timeline and we're able to just work towards our goal freely, I think that often that is so much more helpful and it makes the process so much more enjoyable and less painful. So what is the best advice that you would give someone who is dating? It's a tough question. I don't think there necessarily is one best advice. Obviously, any advice needs to be suited to whatever challenges you're facing. And some people need advice to deal with, you know, a commitment issue. And some people need advice to deal with uh, whatever else your issue might be. Um, one thing that I felt I learned while I was dating uh, is that it's important to first be happy with yourself. I was just telling someone recently that, you know, during my, uh, let's say my 20s, looking ahead where I saw myself in, in a few years, it was important to me to, to be involved educationally in my community and be to, to be contributing to the community in, uh, in some way beyond my career um, and to be living in Israel, which I wasn't until shortly before we met, or actually when we met, because um, we kind of met on my flight when I was moving to Israel. Yeah, we didn't share our cool story. Uh, Maybe we'll save story. that for a different episode. Um, and so I made Aliyah, I moved to Israel, and at some point shortly afterwards I started volunteering in a soup kitchen, and at some point after that I started tutoring uh, a kid in a nearby neighborhood, um, which were all things that I had kind of wanted to, to get around to at some point. And literally a week later, we met. Uh, and I don't think that's a coincidence, not necessarily that that's important for everybody, but at least for me, and, and I'm sure for a lot of people, you can't necessarily be happy in a relationship until you're happy with who you are and where you are. I also don't necessarily think it's a good idea to, to get involved in a relationship when you're still finding yourself, but to a great degree, I think that the happier you are with your life and where you are, the more conducive that is to being happy in a relationship. Yeah, and I think sometimes people look to get married so that they can be happy, almost as if marriage will create happiness. But the same problems that you have single will still be there when you're married as well. So I do think that even though you grow as a couple, it's really important for both individuals to come into the marriage in a wholesome state, I'll say. So now that you gave advice for someone who's dating, what is your best advice 
for a married couple. So with the same disclaimer that obviously the advice needs to be suited to the situation, uh, I would say that it's important to be your best you. Obviously, you're a married couple, and, and to some degree, you're a unit, but you're still an individual. And as an individual in that relationship, the most important part of being in the relationship and being happy in the relationship is still being happy with yourself. Um, you can't change someone else. It's frustrating. It generally doesn't work. If you go into a marriage hoping that you'll convince someone to be more generous or more kind or whatever the case might be, that's only setting yourself up for, for disappointment and frustration. Um, but even as you're married, life is not necessarily about having the best marriage. Right? My life is about becoming the best me for the people around me. And that includes for my spouse, that includes for my children. I'm not saying this from a selfish perspective. It's about becoming the best me so that I can be my best self and contribute to my relationships, contribute to those around me, etc. Um, and I think what that means is that sometimes in marriage and any relationship, other people might, I don't know if I can use words that I think you haven't yet used in your podcast. You, I know you talk about having a manual for other people. I don't know if everyone yeah, listening to this necessarily knows that what that is. I know some of your uh, your inside terminology. But you might have a manual for how, you know, a, an expectation of how other people are supposed to behave, what they're supposed to do. I expect my spouse, and uh, I'm using specifically an example that I think is not our example, I expect my spouse to take out the garbage every morning. And it's really frustrating for me when they don't. So I can nag them about it that's not generally going to be so constructive. That's just going to build up resentment. It might, they might learn at some point, but the alternative there, rather than building up frustration is to just say, okay, so I'll take out the garbage. And that makes me a better person. That makes me a person who will get up and take out the garbage when it needs to be taken out. And again, the garbage here is really more of a metaphor for other more significant issues. But again, you can be frustrated by someone else's shortcomings or you can pick up the slack and try to fill in the gaps and do what needs to be done. And I think in general, in marriage, as in any relationship, you'll be much more satisfied with the relationship, much less, much less frustrated with the relationship. And also, at the same time, building your own character, if you become the kind of person that fills in the gaps, that doesn't expect things from other people, but rather is more inclined to expect things, to expect more from yourself. And hopefully, when you contribute that to the relationship, it, it, uh, it, what goes around comes around. The more you're generous in your relationship with your spouse and anyone, the more generous, hopefully, they'll be with you, assuming that you followed my advice in the, in the first question and you've married someone that's generous and kind and so on. Yeah, and I think so many people spend so much time trying to change other people instead of working on themselves. And once you just let that go and understand that we don't have the power to change other people. We only have the power to change ourselves. Uh, I think that that really enhances a marriage, but like you said, any other relationship as well. So that being said, I'm curious to hear what you think the secret is to a happy marriage. And obviously there's not one secret in the same way that there's not a best advice, uh, but if you think about a marriage as a whole, is there one thing that kind of stands out to you as the secret ingredient? Again, not any one thing, but uh, but if I had to highlight one thing, it would also be someone, something we were talking about recently with uh, 
one of our kids, and that is respect. Um, we were talking about what it means to respect someone, to respect their decisions. Uh, respecting doesn't necessarily always mean agreeing with. It doesn't necessarily always mean thinking that someone is right, but I think in this context, to respect someone and respect their decisions means that you assign to them, attribute to them the best possible motive, or at least a, a very good possible motive. Uh, there's a famous uh, axiom, I guess, called Hamlin's Razor, which is never attribute to malice what can be easily explained by uh, stupidity, I think. Or some people add sometimes by being, you know, ineptitude or neglect. Um, and I think in, in the case of a marriage, it's important that all of those go out the window, right? You should never assume, assuming that you've married someone that you admire and have a basic degree of respect for, that anyone's decision or anyone's action or words are founded in uh, malice or stupidity or ineptitude or, or neglect or, or any of those things. Um, you might disagree with your spouse on any given decision or you might be hurt by something that you said, but hopefully, at least in most cases, that decision is based on a rationale that you can appreciate and understand. Or what they said can be based on maybe not always a rationale, but at least feelings that you can appreciate and understand. If you're arguing about whether to get the more expensive couch or the less expensive couch, one side shouldn't assume that, uh, oh, they don't care about us getting a more comfortable couch. They don't care about the comfort. Or even the other side shouldn't assume that, uh, oh, they don't care about our finances and they're willing to just blow all of our money on a couch. There are different values. There are different thoughts that go into a decision like that. And the fact that you don't agree with your spouse doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're destined to disagree or to argue. They have different values or even the same values, but they weight them differently. And that might not be something that you're aware of. You might not be aware of their financial concerns um, and insecurities. You might not be aware of the fact that that couch is not comfortable for them. Again, the couch is a small example, but there, there are bigger, more significant examples. When someone says something hurtful, hopefully it won't happen that much. But if they do, hopefully you can at least talk and discuss and figure out where that's coming from. It's probably not coming from a desire to hurt you, at least not at its core, maybe in the moment. But at, at its core, hopefully it's coming from some hurt that they're feeling because of something or they're having a bad day or whatever it might be. But to try to attribute the best possible motive or feelings or rationale to something, whatever your spouse says or does, I think that goes a lot, a long way towards building a, a stronger relationship, a relationship built on respect and understanding. Yeah, and I would just add that if somebody asked me that question, I think the secret to a happy marriage is continued growth, where each spouse is working on growing as an individual and then coming together to grow as a couple. So evaluating what's working, what's not working, what needs to be improved, what your values are, your priorities, and always being able to come back to that and see whether you're actually living up to it. And if you are, then that's wonderful. And then you should be setting additional goals. And if you're not, then what do you need to tweak and change in order to get back on track? Because a marriage doesn't just continue to grow. You have to invest in it. You have to discuss and talk and co continuously grow together. And I think that certain individuals think that, you know, you're just married, you stay married, and it kind of continues in a natural progression. 
But I really believe that you need to pour into your marriage in the same way that you pour into other things in your life in order to continue to grow as a couple uh, in the future. So now that we've spoken a little bit about growth, how do you think that you've grown through our marriage? Because I know that I've grown so much since we've gotten married. So I'm just curious to hear how you've grown. So I think that you know, 17 years ago, I probably wouldn't have had <laughs> nearly as much to say about any of these topics. I've obviously learned a lot about love and, and respect and communication and all of those things. Compromise. <clears throat> Compromise. And, and I think that something that I've learned through marriage and, and also having kids is just a greater appreciation for other people and people who are different than I am. The longer you're single, the more... You're, you sometimes, this is how it was for me at least, I can't speak for everyone, the more you become set in your own ways. This is how I run my kitchen, this is how I run my apartment, this is how things are done, um, and this is the right way to do it. But when you share a home with other people, wife, kids, whatever it might be, um, and not just logistically, but also in terms of acknowledging emotions and acknowledging other ways of thinking, that becomes obviously a much more critical and, and necessary part of your day-to-day. -day. You, you can't just decide how things are going to be done. Uh, you can't just dictate. Um, you need to, by necessity, understand other people's ways of thinking, understand other people's needs, be sensitive to other people's needs, um, and not just by necessity, but that obviously is also an ideal. So I think being with, living with someone who is different from you is one of the best ways to to learn to understand how to be sensitive to other people, um, how to be sensitive to other people's needs and, and wants and emotions. So I think that that's something that I've learned and grown in over the course of our marriage. Yeah, and I know that I've grown in so many different ways. And I think that you come into a marriage kind of expecting certain things and expecting that people will behave a certain way, expecting that your family will look a certain way. And it's so humbling to come together with another individual and fully accept and love the other person for who they are, but also be willing to grow and adapt and change. And I think that is growth. So it's doing the uncomfortable things. It's coming together. It's compromising. It's really hearing the other person out. And I think that for me, that's the ultimate definition of growth. So before we end, I just wanted to ask if you have any words of chizuk, encouragement to those listeners who may not have yet found the one. Uh, I know that you were in that position, and uh, I'm just wondering if you have any words of encouragement. So this is a tough one, uh, because I know that there are people who stay single longer than I did and are perhaps experiencing more frustration or pain than I did. And I certainly don't want to be condescending or oversimplify things. Um, I know that that can be a really difficult stage of life. Um, I know from experience, but I know that other people's experiences aren't necessarily at the level, you know, on the same level of mine. Uh, they, they can potentially be stronger or harder. Um, but the one thing I would say is that it's not necessarily healthy to be focused on your next stage of life, to only be focused on getting to your next stage. And as I alluded to before, I think it's important that wherever you are in life, you work on making yourself happy 
with yourself in that stage. Um, so if you are single and you are still looking, marriage is great. Marriage is wonderful. It offers, you know, a lot of um, emotional fulfillment and, and otherwise that you can't necessarily easily achieve when you're single. Um, but being single can also be great, right? You can do a lot of great things when you're single. You can be a wonderful person when you're single. You can have a great life when you're single. And so what I would say is if, if you are single and you're looking to get married, don't make that your only focus because then your only focus will be that area of your life that is currently frustrating and currently difficult for you. But, uh, but instead, try to find fulfillment, try to find growth and happiness in the areas of your life where you may already be more successful in your career, with your friends, whatever it might be, uh, because it doesn't have to and, and it probably shouldn't be all about getting married. Um, you can have fulfilling elements of your life uh, even when some of those elements aren't yet fully uh, developed. Thank you so much, Ruben, for joining me today. My uh, pleasure. I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts that you wanted to share before we close this episode. Uh, just that I've heard some of the upcoming episodes that you've already recorded and they are awesome. So any listeners should be sure to stay tuned for the upcoming episodes. Thank you so much. And just sending so much love to those of you who are married. I hope that you thrive in your marriage. To those of you who are looking for your significant other, I hope and pray that you find them soon and wishing you a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to Thriving on Purpose with Nechama Weiser. If this episode piqued your interest or inspired you, and you're looking for a health and life coach who can help you uplevel your life, then reach out today. Visit NechamaWeiserCoaching.com for details.